0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 18th, 2023. It is currently 1234 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Obviously, I can't speak for anyone else. But for myself, the subject of mental health has obviously moved to the forefront of my brain. It's kind of moved to the forefront of this podcast. And I, I tried to do something a little different this morning for the uh Today's focus uh, podcast series. We talked about dechurching, but we are going to return to the subject of mental health because I am greatly, 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 greatly consumed with that topic right now. And if you look at the way the last two weeks have kind of played out, obviously you can see why mental health has become the dominant topic. Everyone knows that on Monday I spoke at a funeral. I had to give a message. Um, and it was a tragic funeral and the tragedy involved mental health issues. So I was to stand in front of a group of people and talk about mental health and, and really Christianity, mental health and Christ. And maybe, I don't think I, uh, I, I, I put it this way in the minds of many people. If they would have said, you're going you've been asked to speak at a funeral and you're going to talk about mental health and Christ. Well. You're going to stand and tell everyone Christ is the solution. Christ will fix it all. And of course, you all know that I never approach subjects the way everyone thinks that I should. And I clearly never approach the subject the way most Christians think that I should. I'm always somewhere way far from where everyone else thinks I should be. Now, in this situation, the family told me they understood that, that I always approach things from a very way out. I mean, I don't think they said left field, but I'm, I'm way far away from everyone else. And that's kind of what I wanted. So just to remind everyone in that funeral, I stood up and said, hey, when great tragedy occurs, the last thing anyone deserves, the last thing the tragedy itself deserves is for people to just give worn out, tired cliches just these simple answers because it's disrespectful and it doesn't show a clear understanding of the depth of the tragedy. So I apologize because I could not give cliches. I could not give pat answers. I could not do that. It's just, it's not the way I, I, I operate. And I said that I feel that Christianity approaches mental health issues and tragedy in a wrong way and many times leads to more trauma than it does actual healing. And the three ways I feel the church continues to mess up is number one, when tragedy strikes, when mental health issues are there, we open our Bible, we rip some verses out of context, we throw it at the tragedy, we throw it at the mental health issues. And I believe that that's just the, the, the depth and the seriousness of the issues just swallow up those verses out of context. In many cases, it only traumatizes, it only leads to guilt, and it doesn't actually help because the people are like, well, these are Bible verses, this should fix everything. And then when they realize it doesn't, they feel guilty. So... That's the first way I think the church messes up. Second, I think the church constantly sells Jesus like we're on a late night info commercial and I, that Jesus will cure all, fix all, and, and, and everything is wonderful. And remember, if Jesus, when you're becoming a Christian, doesn't take care, doesn't cure all of your physical health issues, why would we think it would cure your mental health issues, your mental illness? Because it's a health issue. It's a disease. It doesn't just go away because you've got Jesus. So I, I, I talked about that. And then number three, the church has placed a stigma upon mental health issues. So we've been, so I decided to start talking about this and really struggle with how we understand this because the church sees mental health and we think the answer is read your Bible more, pray more, go to church. We always give these like spiritual answers to a health issue And I don't understand that. And whatever connection you may think exists between spiritual health and your mental health, whatever issues you exist, what people have to realize is, and remember, I've I've kind of offered up this hypothesis, I've kind of offered up this approach. No matter what a person is going through mentally, you can always encourage them to pursue their spiritual health, right? You can always, you know, have them and help them and disciple them and mentor them and support them as they pursue Christ, as they pursue their Christian faith, as they pursue doctrine, theology, Bible study. You can, but don't connect it to saying this is going to fix your mental health. Have them do that. If you think it's going to have a positive, great. But here's the danger. If you tell them this is going to fix their mental health issues, and then they start trying to read their Bible, pray more, go to church more, and their mental health issues really begins to get worse and worse and worse, then they're, and then you've just heaped—basically, you've given them law to try to fix their mental health issues that's only only going to increase their despair, their depression, their discouragement, and now you're going to heap, you know, thousand pounds of guilt upon them. So I tend to say, tell them to pursue Christ because that's what a Christian does. And then their mental health, we need to pursue it through, through looking at it from an actual mental health perspective and the things that relate directly to mental health and seeking out mental health experts who that's their expertise. And then listen, and do, you're still pursuing the Christian perspective. You're just not drawing the direct connection so that the person is like, well, been, I went to church you know all last month and I read my Bible and I still feel the, these horrible feelings. They don't, they don't have to suffer with that guilt. I know that that's a distinction that many people are unwilling to make, but I think it's something that we have to consider. So we talked about that, and I really tried to spark a conversation there. Some of you have participated in that conversation. You've sent me your notes. You've sent me things. Thank you so very much for participating in it. But I cannot stress to you the seriousness of this. Mental health issues are increasing. They are not decreasing. In fact, I I don't know if I have it saved. While we've kind of started this mini series on mental health, just in the last couple of days, let me see if I can find it. Um, I don't know if I have it. Oh, here it is. US depression rates reach new highs. This just was released a few days ago. The United States depression rates reach a new high. More and more people are suffering with mental health related issues. More and more people are. And that includes people outside the church. And I know nobody wants to admit this. It includes people inside the church. Now we could, we will, we, in this series, we're going to continue to try to pursue questions related to mental health. And we will continue to do that. I don't want to divert what we're doing so far and go chase this, but I just want you to know there's, there's more and more things showing up at least in my news feed uh, in regards to this subject. But here's what we're currently doing, if you haven't been with us. Crosswalk.com, a Christian website, gave us 10 ways Christians can improve their mental health. 10 ways. And they acknowledge here that one in five Americans experience some kind of mental health incident each year. And like any physical ailment, these shouldn't go left untreated. So one and five every year. So they acknowledge there's a problem. Now, I wanted to see how a Christian website that is as mainstream and as common as crosswalk.com would be, how they would tell us to approach it. So we've been working through their, their, their ways, these 10 things. Let's review the ones we've covered. The first thing they told us to do, and you, we know what they were going to say. We could have, we could have predicted this a million, you know, we could, we could have predicted this a million miles away. I mean, this was just so, it was so simple to see that it was coming. Pray, 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 pray. Like their first thing, you're suffering, suffering from mental health issues, seek prayer. Instead of saying seek professional help, they said seek prayer. And well, we talked about all of the issues surrounding that approach and, and some possible problems. And for some people, that's great. For others, it leads to more very deep philosophical problems, and it and it can cause even more, not only pressure, it can just cause more discouragement and, and difficulty. And I know some of you don't understand that, all right? But someone, let's say someone is suffering mental health issues related to a tragedy, something horrible happened, and you're like, well, you need to pray about it. Remember what you're telling them to do. You're telling them to pray to the God who not only did not stop the tra- tragedy, it did not make it go away, but obviously let it happen. You could possibly say decreed it, was was looking over. And you're like, you're going to pray to the one who didn't stop the tragedy. So you're seeking help from the one who didn't help. Now, when you state it that way, many Christians get very upset, but you have to at least consider how someone struggling with mental health issues may actually think about it that way and go... um, there's a, even someone not suffering a mental health issue, just suffering pain and agony may raise those kinds of questions. And, and sometimes Christians don't think about it. Once again, we like that little pat answer. Pray and, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow. The birds will be singing. There'll be a rainbow dropping Skittles and a unicorn will be running through your yard. And it, and it doesn't work that way. So that was number one. Number two, Journal journal. And we did talk about the benefits of journaling. And I did agree that there is a benefit to journaling, right? Because you're taking your pain, your agony, your depression, your discouragement, you're taking it, you're writing it down on paper. So you're having to process it. You're having to think about it and you're sharing it. It's not, I'm not saying it's going to fix everything, but it cannot hurt uh, to at least attempt to do that. Number three, Lean on your community. Now, this is church, 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 and I raised some serious questions on this one, right? Do you believe church contributes to improved, better mental health, or do you think the church contributes to mental health crises, mental health issues? Do you think the church is more of a hurting institution or more of a healing institution? From my perspective, past experiences, there have been a few times the church has been somewhat healing, but in almost every case, I'm talking not as a pastor now, just as a church member, in every church I went to, they almost all ended in absolute horrific things occurring that led to more mental health struggle, more hurting than it did healing. Now, not everyone's going to agree with that. But that's my but you can't disagree with my personal experience. As a pastor, I've definitely felt at times being a pastor and being a part of a church was more detrimental to my mental health than actually healing. Then there were a few times I've witnessed great, you know, compassion, love and mercy and grace and that was actually helpful. When it's all when the story is written, my total time in ministry, I don't know. I know as a podcaster it's fellow Christians who have emailed me at times who have, you know, threats and calling me names, which definitely did not help my mental health. I did not see compassion love. But then I've always had those listeners who have been very supportive and caring and helpful. So it's sometimes a mixed bag. So I, I just don't think, I don't think Christians, no matter what we like to say, I don't think Christians are, are always the people you turn to, to help your mental health. I just, I just, I, I just... I, I, I said before, and this I think ticked off a lot of people. If I was standing, if I was having a mental health issue, a, a mental health crisis, right, and I was standing in a street looking at two organizations, two institutions, right. One institution is the church, and the other one was a, a counseling center, right? Not not even Christian. Which one would I go to for mental health uh, help? I would I would bypass the church and go to the counseling center. I, I know, I know. When I say that, I tick off a lot of people, but I'm just, that's, I just don't trust. I just don't trust. You say, well, you trust the other. I'm not saying I trust the other either, but I'm just saying I feel like I would have a greater chance of possibly getting help here. Where the church, I'm going to get cliches and basically I'm going to be handed law. Do this, 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 do this. All right. So let's go to... And then the next one was eat well. And I think that there is... uh I mean, obviously, that, that's the, that's an easy thing to do, right? Start changing your diet, right? I think that, I think that, uh, that can be beneficial, and we talked all about that. The next one was read your Bible. I was a little dismissive of it at first. Someone did bring up, um, Uh, One of the listeners in the chat brought up something about, well, not just reading your Bible, but like actually studying it. And so then I kind of changed my tone or my tune, uh, my tone, my tune, uh, my, my, my perspective a little bit in the middle of the broadcast, because I do believe if you're if you're struggling and if you're suffering engaging in serious Bible study, not about why you're suffering, not about your issue, but just studying your Bible. You're at least for that time, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you're, you're not focusing on self. You're focusing on all of these other things. You're focusing on all of these other things. And I think that that's a good thing. That gives you 45 minute break where you're engaged your mind on something other. So I do think that there can be benefits from that they're more, I think, more looking at it like you're suffering, read your Bible to find the answer and to find help. And I think, no, you study the Bible to get your eyes off self so that you, that, that's kind of a different approach, but okay. The next one, which we did not cover. Here we go. Number six, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. They quote 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm going to look it up in the Bible that I have next to me. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You probably know what this is. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks They say practice gratitude will improve one's mental health. This is how they, uh, this is uh, how they quote it. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Thessalonians 5.18. This is what they have to say. There's an old song for children which goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. It's a fairly useful place, a piece of advice. When you're angry or upset, it's easy to forget about all the good things which are happening in your life. So it's always help, it's always helpful to pause and count your blessings. Do you have a roof over your head, clean drinking water, a family who loves you? That's more than most have. Counting your blessings may not uh, mitigate your suffering, but it will remind you things aren't as bad as they seem. Practicing gratitude is one of the most effective ways of starving off bitterness and depression. It might even be worthwhile to combine this with step two, create a journal of gratitude to revisit when you're feeling low. All right. Practicing gratitude. at times I'm just going to be honest with you I'm going to be honest with you remember the whole this whole series has I've tried to create this whole series it's a very it's not been all mapped out and planned out and 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 produced and edited this is supposed to have been a real raw and I mean i I've tried to do this series in the middle of a very emotional week so this has been very raw unedited and hopefully very real and hopefully hopefully that will be a, a understood by the listeners i hope they understand that this all right so for me on one hand let's let's just be honest i'm not saying practicing gratitude is bad all right so let so let me let me now let's consider practicing gratitude in the face of great tragedy first and foremost don't ever look at someone who's facing great tra- tragedy and say well you need to show gratitude and you need to think about all the good things that you have don't do that because that diminishes and and treats the the that doesn't treat respect uh, that doesn't show respect to the person and it doesn't even really show respect to the the depth of the tragedy that they are suffering like you know if someone is suffering you don't go up to them go hey you need to you know think about all the blessings you do have yeah your family is dead but hey think of all the blessings you do have yeah your house just burned down but look you still have that car like you know come on there's a time and place all right so i think that's number one number two I do believe that we need to all be better at practicing gratitude on a daily basis. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, focus on what we do have. Instead of being frustrated with what bad things are going on, try to be more thankful for the good things that are going on. Like, I think I think we all need to practice gratitude better. I think we all need to practice. So number one, be careful about just throwing that at people suffering. Number two, we need to practice gratitude all the time right? So that when the tragedy occurs, a grati- in other words, I think the more we practice gratitude, we begin to develop an attitude that is just naturally grateful, right? It's almost like you're training for the tragedy, right? Tragedy is coming. Look, you if you don't know it, tragedy is coming. Pain and suffering is coming. I don't know when it's going to arrive, but it's on its way. If you practice gratitude every single day, I'm not saying it's going to make the, the pain any less, but you'll just be a more naturally grateful person than maybe someone who would be more naturally prone not to see any good in anything. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything, give thanks. Now, please note, in everything, not necessarily for everything, I think there's a distinction there. In everything, give thanks for this is is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I always like to give thanks for those things that are, this is my advice. So, so number one, don't throw it at people. Number two, uh, make it a practice every day. And number three, when it comes to gratitude, here's what I would say. Focus on having gratitude for those things that will never change. In other words, remember to have gratitude for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for Jesus Christ, for salvation. That doesn't change because you can have gratitude for something today that could be gone tomorrow, Right. So I think focus your gratitude first and foremost on those things that cannot change. Who God is, right? On salvation for his word, right? That will not fade away, right? For God's future promises, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering and no more death and, 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 and Satan and hell and all of that will be, you know, just all the future promises, count those. Because those things, are, those things may not yet be, but they are certain. Focus on the certainty of things that you can have gratitude for. Because you could have gratitude like, well, this happened, but at least I have this. And then as soon as you say that, you no longer have that. Hey, I know right now we're having hard problems financially, but I have my health. And then five days later, you don't have your health. So that's all I'm saying. I think, I think that's something to consider. All right? Now, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Number seven, exercise on a regular basis. Exercise on a regular basis. Now, this is going back much more to a physical approach, right? Eating well, right? And exercising on a regular basis, and that eating well. Remember, we said to avoid something like alcohol, which is a depressant, right? I think those are. I think those. Are, the article didn't really do that, but we emphasized that greatly. Exercise on a regular basis. Now they quote First Corinthians three sixteen. Don't you know that yourselves um, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? I don't know if I'm a big fan of quoting that one, but okay. It says never underestimate the value of physical exercise. The endorphins from a good run can work wonders on your mental health and the feeling of accomplishment after a solid workout is hard to duplicate. Just as a proper diet can change the way you think, staying active helps your body guard against anxiety and depression. This really shouldn't come as a surprise uh, either, since Christians know God designed our bodies to run, jump, swim, climb, and do any number of physical feats. Eating right and exercising on a regular basis are the building blocks of good bodily stewardship. When we neglect them, it only makes sense of our minds to suffer alongside our physiques. This doesn't mean you immediately have to run a marathon or join a boot camp, but maybe consider taking a walk outside once in a while. A little outdoor activity could be a welcome Change, and I don't have a problem with this one at all, right? And I'll just go back to my experience, obviously in a psychological, you know, a a psych hospital, right? Um, Because of my attempted suicide, I was in a psych. If I can say it correctly, I was in a mental health hospital. There we go. All right. A psychiatric hospital. That's what I'm trying to say. A psychological hospital. A psychiatric hospital, mental health hospital for eight weeks, right? And I told you how things work. First, they put you on a very rigorous routine. Boom, right? We had things to study, right? And then we had different things like crafts. We had, you know, game time. We had all these activities mapped out. And guess what? Obviously, our diet, we were, we were given food to eat. So our diet was controlled. And oh, and by the way, we had physical activity twice a day, I think. I think it was twice a day We had physical activity. So they, that was implemented in the psychiatric hospital. I don't know why I couldn't say that correctly, but you get the idea. So, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. Now, once you get into your mental health crises, once you get into it, like once once it sets in, it's almost impossible sometimes to get people to start eating right and exercising. It's very, 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 very difficult. Um, but when you're in a psychiatric hospital, you didn't really have a lot of choices because you're kind of being told what to do. So, but, um, you know, maybe that's some of the benefits. And I can, uh, I can attest to that there were a lot of benefits from everything that came from that there were a lot of benefits that came from that. I probably wouldn't have been able to to. to te- I, I probably wouldn't have been able to detect the benefits at the time because of the crisis I was in. But I can look back and go. I, I, I when I drive past the psychiatric hospital that I was in. Uh, whenever I drive past it now, because it's not super far from my house. Um, I will remember, I, we used to go for a walk right there. Or, oh, that's the gym we used to do. Like, I can still, that, I used to walk around that building. Like, I can still remember, and a lot of the things are associated with activities that we did. So I may not remember some of the classes that we took, but I definitely remember some of the activities. So I'm not saying that proves anything, just proves that clearly there was a benefit somehow attached to it. So those are things, those are, I think those are preventive, th- you know, like uh, I think we should see eating and exercise and gratitude as preventive measures, right? You're prevent- you're like you're trying to ensure that those two, th- all three things of- there are in place, that whenever tragedy occurs or whenever anything starts happening, you've already got these things in place that may minimize the impact uh, or may prevent some of those things from developing. And again I don't think that means you have to have, you know, I don't think it means you need to, you know, go crazy and try to make physical fitness an idol, but at the same time I think there's things you can do that can be beneficial. I can I can attest to before COVID, you know, I was in mental uh mental I was in martial arts. Um then COVID messed all of that up and I do miss um that activity. I I, I do think that there were benefits from it. I I didn't always like the time wasted to drive there, go through class, drive home. Like it took a lot out of my time, but I cannot deny the benefits that came from it. I really really can't. All right, let's go. We're at 26 minutes. Let's see if we can knock out another one. Oh boy. Okay. I don't know how we're going to feel about this one. Right. now we're back to the spiritual now see they 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 try to connect the two now just remember all of their spiritual suggestions I believe yes, you can do those spiritual suggestions I just would not connect them to mental health right so just if if i i my approach is somewhat unique but i i think I, I think I can justify my reasons for such a unique approach but here's number eight they quote first peter four ten. 1 Peter 4.10. This makes me a little nervous. Let's see what they're going to do here. 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is what they're, they're, they, this next one. Practice your spiritual gifts practice your spiritual gifts. This is how they quoted. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. God created each person with unique and precious abilities. Do you like to sing? Can you memorize scripture better than anyone else you know? Maybe you enjoy volunteering in Sunday school or lending a hand in local events. Practicing your spiritual gifts don't just doesn't just glorify God, it can also help you when you're suffering from depression. These gifts remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The God of the universe created us to be special and desires us to build a better world than we see now. It's a daunting task, but also an exciting one. So whenever life feels stressful, spend more time practicing your gifts and remember God made you for a purpose. I don't know how I feel about this one. I don't know. I think you can try to exercise, quote unquote, your spiritual gifts and engaged in all of these activities and can actually walk away more scarred than you did going in. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this one. Being involved in activity. See, to me... Well, one, I, it, it's a little, okay, J- hear, hear me out here. You may disagree. If you're like, hey, I'm going to use my spiritual gifts because it helps my mental health. That's very self-serving. Hey, I'm going to serve others because I'm really serving myself. That just seems like a kind of a mess of, I'm going to do this because it's going to benefit me. And the minute you no longer feel the benefit for you, you're going to stop doing it. I, I'm not a fan of this one. Like I understand what they're saying, but I just think it's very self when you turn your spiritual gifts as an opportunity to benefit yourself, that seems to be as selfish as it can possibly be. I'm going to go help this person who you know, we're going to we're going to paint their house and we're going to do some yard work, so it's going to make me feel better. <laughs> like I I I don't know if that's the spirit of Christianity right there. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Now, I'm not saying that that's what they're saying to do, but they turn it right back around and go, hey, you're going to benefit from this. I will say this. I'm, I'm going to replace number eight with activities. Find activities that you can be involved in, whatever those activities may be. And you're doing those, like this is to fix your mental health. You're doing those activities for the express purpose of benefiting yourself. You're getting yourself, like you're not just sitting there thinking, you're getting your mind distracted from other things. Now, you could argue that when I said do Bible study, you're doing the same thing. You're benefiting yourself because you're benefiting by the distraction from your own problems. So that that would be a little self-serving as well. I would hope the the Bible study would help you as well spiritually. So I tried to look at it, a, a mixture of the two, but I would say activities, increase the activity, whatever the activity may be. Like just don't sit there, just change things up, find things to do that you don't, you you may not feel like doing whether it's going out to do something, are, no matter how simplistic it may be, find activities to be involved in, even if you don't want to. All right. So yeah, I don't know what to do there. We got two more. Do I save the next two? Let me look at these. <laughs> number 10 just cracked me up. Uh, let's, let's just go through these. Let's just finish this up. Let's just finish this up. All right. So number eight, they say use your spiritual gifts. I'm just going to say activities, be involved in different activities. Number nine, rest. Now they quote Genesis 2.2. They quote Genesis two two here. They quote Genesis 2.2. Genesis 2, 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. All right, here we go. This may be the hardest entry for Christians to accept. Our modern society moves at a blinding speed and we're constantly told to work longer, achieve higher, achieve higher and contribute more often. Even on the weekends, our schedules overflow with tasks like doing laundry, cleaning the house, fixing the car or shuffling the kids off to sports practice. We have effectively forgotten how to rest. True relaxation is necessary for a healthy mind. If even God if even God was willing to take a break, so should you. Now, I don't know if God was willing to take a break. See, I, I hate when they so humanize God, like, like God was willing to take a break. I think there was a spiritual purpose. He didn't need to take a break, right? I mean, he's God, right? Okay, so I, I just hate when they say it that way. All right. Spend time reading a book, uh, reading a fun book, do a puzzle, take a nap. Go see a movie or grab a a massage at your local outlet mall. Uh, Self-care isn't necessarily selfish. It just ensures you're not burning yourself out. So take the afternoon and treat yourself. Now, I don't know how going to do all of those activities is supposedly restful. I'm not, hey, go rest by going to do activities. I'm going to put all the activities they just said in number eight. Go do activities, right? I got no problem. Go do a puzzle, book, book. Go to a movie, go to the mall, like whatever the case may be, go to the mall. That sounds so dated. Like who goes to the mall in 2023? Okay. But I, but I digress, right? Go somewhere. I got no problem with the activities. So I'm going to move the activities to number eight. Number nine is rest. Now I don't know how many people have a problem with rest. I don't know. I feel like people constantly are, here's what I feel. This is what, and I, and I, so I, I, I'm not going to be very good at, at, this one i'm not going to be very good at this one i do understand the connection between rest and or we can say rest proper sleep and mental health i will as much as i joke around i do understand the correlation between a restful body sleep and mental health i by no means will i argue against that i do understand the scientific data about it i i don't practice it but i do understand but here's this—I I just constantly—I felt like that my whole Christian life, this is what I hear. Well, I couldn't read my Bible because uh, I was too busy or I was too tired or like—I um, I just I just feel like I hear Christians constantly talk about how tired they are. I'm so tired. 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 I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough sleep. Now, may, But when they say they didn't get enough sleep, then— It's not because they were like up reading their Bible or studying the Bible or listening to sermons. So it's just weird. And then what I have seen my whole Christian life is it seems like it's a universal thing. that Christians go home on Sunday afternoon and take a nap. So I I, I don't know. Is Is this a major issue of a lack of rest in Christianity? I don't know. I just feel like that. But that's what Christians do. They like they almost like I'm gonna go. Like I haven't read the Bible in six months, but after church I'm going home and taking a nap. Right? I've often, often been blown about because Christians are constantly making excuses why they can't read their Bible, they can't do the Bible study, they couldn't do this, they can't do this. They can't. they've always got a million reasons why they can't, but they will make sure come. It doesn't matter. Come a hurricane, a typhoon an earthquake, a nuclear explosion, they're getting their nap in on Sunday. So I don't, it's, it's maybe, I always hear that people don't, rest, people don't get enough rest. 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 I know that's a common, I, I just sometimes, it feels like that all people ever do is sleep in my, and from my worldview. So I don't know. I I, I feel like I don't get enough rest. But I'm refusing to do so because I'm like, you know, why am I going to spend half of my life resting? I don't, I don't. It blows my mind. I don't understand it. So I, I, I'm, I'm not good at this one. I understand it though. So here's what I would say: get proper sleep and proper rest, whatever that looks like. I, I can't, I can't disagree. In other words, I, I, my, I have my own personal feelings about it, but I cannot disagree. So I would never tell someone not to, right? I would never tell someone not to. But you you can tell me what you think about rest. I don't know. I just feel like I just don't see that that's the issue. I mean, Christians are always saying they're tired, but then they always talk about their they have to have their Sunday their their, their Sunday afternoon nap. And then they always come to church tired. But they're not up because they were up late Saturday night, you know, looking over their sermon notes. It's not like they were up late Saturday night. <laughs> doing the Bible study. <laughs> okay? Because they always show up to church with no clue what's going on and then saying they're tired. And then I'm like, and then they were like, I went to bed at 1030 and I'm like, and you were tired? I mean, like, I, I, sometimes I'm just baffled and perplexed when Christians talk about this subject. I really, I just looking at, it, I'm like, I do not understand what you guys are talking about. You went to bed at 1030 and you're tired. You went to bed at midnight and you're tired. You woke up at eight. Like church doesn't start till 10. You woke up at nine. Like, how could you be ta- Like, I, I, I'm just sometimes look at Christians like, I, I truly don't understand. But there, there's that one. All right. There's that one. And then the next thing that they call for, which this one is hilarious to me. Number 10, last but not least, <laughs> see a doctor. You would think with mental health issues, you may want to see a doctor maybe earlier on, but okay. All right. Uh, here we go. This says, Proverbs eleven fourteen for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Right? I don't know if that would next kind of apply, but okay. It says, for the most part, these entries have focused on battling the common day-to-day struggles of mental health. But sometimes emotional problems can turn deadly. If you've reached the point where self harm is being considered, it is absolutely vital you go see a doctor right away. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to intervene here and I'm going to, I'm going to disagree. You don't wait until self harm becomes a consideration to see a doctor. You don't wait until it's gotten so bad that you've started contemplating hurting yourself. You get to the doctor way before that, right? I mean, when, when, when do you want to get to the doctor? Once the cancer has spread through your body and it's terminal? Or don't you want early detection? Uh, For any illness or disease, isn't early detection always the key? Why would you wait to go to the doctor once it's now reached that you're contemplating hurting yourself? Once you start having mental health struggles and issues, you need to seek professional help earlier rather than later. I got no problem focusing on your spiritual life and doing all the spiritual. I got no problem Getting proper sleep, eating, exercising, journaling, all the different things that they talked about. Activities, right? Sorry, I'm dropping my pencil. Um, I got no problem with that. But don't wait until self harm to see a doctor. Get to the doctor earlier rather than later. Because once you get to that kind of a crisis level, then they have to start making maybe the intervention they have to take. You, you, in other words, you limit the uh, the options. You live, you you limit what they can do, right? In other words, they may turn immediately turning to medication and pharmaceuticals, and you may not want to do that, right? You may be hesitant, but if you've reached that serious level, they don't have a lot of. They can't say, "Well, let's start with trying to do these four things." No, they're going to be like you're contemplating hurting yourself. We've got to take major intervention here. It would be much better for early detection, where you start having the struggles. It says, uh, regular appointments with a, f- a psychologist or a licensed therapist can help with these feelings and there's no shame in speaking with a professional about them. To put this in perspective, a Christian speaker once compared therapy to getting a routine car maintenance. There's nothing wrong with seeing a mechanic to make sure everything's all right. Why do you think it's any different with counseling? God loves his children more than we could ever know. And, we, uh, and he would never ever want us to stay in a place where we would actively hurt ourselves. If you're in a dark place, please reach out and ask for help. God put you in this world for a reason because it's a better place with you in it. Well, now we could get into a lot of, we could get into a lot of discussions about that philologically, but I will do this. If I can get this to work. Their link here is not working. So I'm going to do... I'm going to look this up for us. I'm going to look this up for us. I thought the article was going to give me the link. It's kind of sad that the article doesn't have a link that works. I'm going to type this out. All right. All um, right. It looks like a suicide and crisis lifeline is 988. The suicide and crisis lifeline is 988. 988. Not 911, but 988. Uh, We can uh, help prevent suicide. The Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention, and crisis resources for your loved ones. The best practice for professionals in the United States. It's called 988, or it's 988. It's the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You should know that number. You should be not afraid to ever use that number, and you should not be afraid to ever point people to that number, even inside the church. Reaching that point and and your mental health crises or mental health issues or mental health, period, does not call into question your faith, does not call into question your spirituality. Means you're having a mental health issue. Just like if you are, are, find yourself in physical pain, you may go to the emergency room. That doesn't call into f- question your faith. You're having a mental health crisis, calling 988 or seeking uh, intervention from a mental health professional does not call into question your faith. Seek seek professional intervention way earlier than, than you getting to the point that you want to harm yourself. Get the help you need. Get the counseling you need. Do whatever is necessary to make that happen. And there you have the 10 steps to supposedly improve your mental health. I've I'm, I've said everything I think I can say at this point. We will we will. This is going to be one of those series we're not going to actively pursue every day or every week, but we're going to keep this series open and address issues that relate to mental health as they arise. Even within uh, you know, articles, Christian podcasts, sermons, or anywhere, anything I see something related to mental health, I may place the podcast episode in this series. Uh, So that we can continue to address it because I just don't want not only the tragedy that occurred to just be forgotten. I want to take that tragedy and try to bring something good from it to avoid other tragedies. Not only because I, I, I am very familiar with these issues because of my own past and because I know many people struggle. And I know Christianity sometimes has led to more trauma and harm than it has to actual healing. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. May God bring something positive out of the ashes, agony, pain of the tragedy. That occurred. Someone just said, uh, I struggle with depression. Well, I I am very sorry that you struggle with depression. Someone in the chat just said they struggle with depression, and I am very sorry. And please, uh, I don't know if any of the things said today will be of any benefit, but definitely do everything necessary to possibly get the help that you need. Because that struggle is real, and just remember, you're not alone. Right? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the, considered one of the greatest preachers of all time, struggled with depression his entire life, and and felt that he was the most wretched, depressed person that had ever existed. Spurgeon struggled with it, so it's it's not. Don't 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 see it as something wrong with you spiritually. It has nothing. It's a it's a mental health issue. It doesn't, doesn't impact your – it doesn't call into question your spirituality. So don't allow it to lead to guilt and shame because that's what Christianity sometimes makes people feel, and that's what we have to get rid of. So thank you for saying that, and um, hopefully you know, you can move forward in a careful, clear, thoughtful way that will benefit you. And you can find some relief at times from it. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Everyone have a great day. God bless.